Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well, well be for you. And in the second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate in order to navigate these turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting our guests to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Mary Beth Huland um, about the joy superpower of leading with values. Mary Beth is founder and chief visionary of Spark Vision. Through retreats, workshops, and coaching, Mary Beth transforms disconnected leaders and their teams into a unified force for positive change. And she does that with the understanding that we all have a deep desire to know and return to our most authentic selves at work, home, and within. Her recent awards include Circle of Excellence, Innovator of the Year, Top 100 Women, Civic Engagement Leader, and Leading Women. Mary Beth is author of Permission to be Human, The Conscious Leader's Guide to Creating Value-Driven Culture, and her personal life's mission is to create spaces where voices are heard, stories are released, and alignment is ignited. That's wonderful. And welcome to the show, Mary Beth. It's so great to be with you, Andrew, and your wonderful community here. Thank you so much. Lovely to have you here. And I look forward to our chat very much. Let's start by asking you the question about your own life, a personal question. So at what point in your own life did you start to see the importance of having a set of values to live by? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, for better or worse, it didn't happen until recently. So okay. I'm 37 to give some context. So uh, I would say probably when I was in my early 30s is when it began. And it happened as a result of making so many choices, whether that was my career, where I was investing my time, where I was spending my money. I was making so many choices based on other people's values mm. and what they wanted me to be and what was socially acceptable and encouraged of me by others versus like looking within and saying, well, what do I actually want, right? Like what's actually going to light me up versus what lights those other people up, which is great, but it's not necessarily the same for me. And obviously the big question then become, what was the catalyst to make you go, aha, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, it, there was, there was quite a few. I wish it was just one. Um, I didn't get the message right away. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one. You're not the only one. Yeah, I, I was just at a, a, an event recently where Oprah was speaking and she reminded me of this beautiful quote, which is, the universe gives us, our, us exactly what we need for our consciousness to evolve. And when we don't get the message the first time, we will keep getting mm. it. And I think that applies to us individually as well as a society. Exactly. And that's and that is exactly what my message was. And so my my biggest thing was that I I was checking all of the boxes societally of being a very successful human being. You know, mm. you just read a bunch of awards and you know, I got global recognition for things I was doing, but on the inside, I was miserable. Mm. 
I had a terribly debilitating work addiction. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a work addiction until I was clinically diagnosed with it by my therapist. And it was an experience where I just thought that's just what everybody, you know, everybody just hustles and is drained and, you know, you have to, that's part of the price you pay to be successful. And so it wasn't until many, many years of that um, experience of having a, a debilitating work addiction that I finally realized I needed to get help and that mm. my pattern was not actually serving me and the greater purpose that I was here to move into, to step into, but I didn't know what any of those things were. And so therapy was the first step in that right. process. Well, it's wonderful that A, you managed to get help and, and B, at really an early age. I mean, many people don't discover this until they're 50s or, or beyond. Yeah. You know, yeah. as you say, society drives. I remember the old quote from um, was it the original Wolf of Wall Street uh, when Michael Douglas, when he says that lunch is for wimps. Right. Like, and, and people say that about sleep. Right. Right. Sleep I'll too. sleep when I die. That my expression, desk. It's like, actually, that's a literally a biological piece of requirement in order for us to function properly. Right. <laughs> we are so far removed sometimes from this. So that's amazing. So you've, you've, met, you've got through this transformation. And, and then so if you talk about your own values and how they impact now your daily life and your decisions, could you sort of open up a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I would say that the the, the core value of mine that has created the biggest sense of inner harmony and alignment for myself was really diving into this value of authenticity. Mm. So authenticity is a really big buzzword right now. You know, it's thrown around all over the place, but there's, it's very, very rare that you actually find like, how do I learn how to be my authentic self? Like what is step one? What is the process for doing that? And so by holding the value of authenticity, it really was almost like a, a marching order of, okay, so I need to go on this journey. I need to go on this journey. If what I really care about is matching my outside with my inside, that thing I was just telling you about was the pain point for me, you know, the breaking point. Yeah. Well, if I really care about that, then I need to spend more time on the inside and really shut down the things on the outside for wanting to get approval or, you know, have other people validate, um, you know, you read my personal mission and I used to say voices are heard, stories are validated versus released. So now I say stories are released. And that was because I am a child of abuse. Mm. And so I, it, and it was a secret. It was a secret my whole life. It was the kind of thing that my dad said, if we told anybody, my parents would get divorced, it would be our fault. So it was a very difficult programming of like, I'm being hurt and I'm not allowed to tell anyone. Mm. And when I did tell a little bit, like, you know, dad's really mean, dad's really scary. I'm afraid to be alone with him. It was not ever really entertained as a real concern. And so it was further validation that something was wrong with me Mm. and that I needed to change and that I was the problem and that I was too sensitive, that I was too emotional, that I was too this, that, the other. Right. Right. And so that was huge. And I carried that with Mm. me for 35 years until I went to therapy, what I just mentioned. 
Um, and it was the first time I really opened up about it as a real experience. And it was the first time that a clinician ever validated that, yes, by clinical standards, you were physically, emotionally um, abused and mentally abused. And, and, and so I just thought, you know, you know, he's just really mean, you know, mm -hmm. I never really labeled it as the depth to which it was. And it was, it was, it was really awful. And so I carried all of that with me secretively and then I channeled it into a work addiction so that I could be enough. Yeah. So I could be enough. And so that, you know, cause I always thought, well, maybe if I'm perfect, then I won't get hurt. And then I won't have to, you know, suffer in this way. And that created a huge amount of years and years and years of debilitating inner turmoil that I wasn't talking about or sharing with anybody. And so this idea of authenticity wasn't only just mm -hmm. looking at the inside, but also healing the pieces of myself that I had formerly considered a burden, like being really sensitive, like right. being... Yeah highly emotionally intelligent. Those were things that I wish so badly weren't a part of me because then it wouldn't hurt so bad to be me. Mm. And now today, I know for a fact that those are my greatest superpowers. I know that. And if it weren't for the abuse, if it weren't for the mm. neglect, if it weren't for all of these compounding factors, I would never be able to do the work that I do today. I would never be able to connect with people all over the world who have experienced their versions of that, whatever that may look like or be like. We all have something that's happened in our lives. Um, and so I'm so grateful for it now and I can own it as my power instead of it owning me and, and taking my power away. And that's really what authenticity means to me. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, obviously first, you know, really sorry to hear about the the, the hard abuse as, as a child and having to carry that with you uh, must have been very hard to do that and to have the courage then to face this inner hurt um, and to go through the process of accepting um, and then making it into a strength at the end of the day, which, I mean, is an amazing strength that you've had to be able to switch the cards around and and see this experience as something that's put you in a place where you couldn't be without it so obviously i congratulate you on that thank you thank wonderful, you wonderful but hard journey i'm sure it was a hard journey to to go through the stages of getting to that that place of acceptance and then to the turning it into a, a strength yeah, you really need to be dedicated to it. You know, it's not a quick thing. It's not that happens something that happens in one session. It's not even right. something that happens in a week. You know, it's something that you commit to forever mm. because there's always going to be a new wound that rises that hasn't healed that you thought was healed, but wasn't quite healed. Yeah, yeah. And so you get to choose, you know, is this my opportunity to release this? You know, is this my opportunity to spend time and get curious about it and pull all the wisdom that lives inside of that wound and take that wisdom with me and heal up the mm -hmm. rest. And, um, and that's been really beautiful. That's been a really beautiful gift to have in such an intense way from my upbringing. But now that this is just a part of living and what a gift that we as humans all have that opportunity. It is. And, and so, so that leads me to my next question. When you talk about values and you talked about authenticity being your core value, 
Um, do you believe that all humans have the ability to, to choose their own values in, in that way? Or is there something more innate, more nature um, involved in this destiny? Yeah, so, so values are really our intrinsic motivators. Mm. So something that lives inside of us that is giving us that inner feeling of, ooh, this is great, you know, it makes you energized, it makes you feel alive, it gives you a sense of purpose. And then on the other side of the spectrum, if it's not your value or if your value is being violated in an experience, that's when you're feeling drained. You're feeling like, oh my gosh, this is not the right place for me or the right person or experience, right? And so it's very, it's very apparent when our values are in action or they're being violated. And so because of that, it really is something that comes from our nature. Um, you, could all, you could certainly say I have an aspirational value. So for an example, um, one of my aspirational values is health because I really had a very inappropriate relationship, particularly as a woman. This is very, pretty, pretty sadly, very normal. I had a really serious body image issue when I was in college and in high school. And, um, you know, I, the way I considered health was like depriving myself of the things I wanted and working out excessively and um, being really strict about what I allowed in my body not from a place of health, from a place of what do I look like as a result of this. And so I had a really negative relationship to it and I didn't recognize there's a much more holistic approach. Mm. And so health is one of my aspirational values. It's not naturally something that I am like, oh, I can't wait to go, you know, take a long walk or go do this thing that I know is going to make me feel so much better. But because it is something I know is important to ultimately have yeah. authenticity, to ultimately have inner harmony, to ultimately have the quality of life that I want to have, I'm very fortunate to be married to somebody who's a certified holistic life coach and okay. uh, he's does movement and nutrition. And so he's the best because on, on many, many, many ways, but one of them is I'm a horseback rider. I, I ride and I train horses. I'm on a quest to become a cowgirl. And so he's been <laughs> so great at saying, I want to teach you some new stretches and they're going to help you be a better rider. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful so, having that in-house coach. Yes, and so we reciprocate with each other in that way. But it's one of these things, it's like, okay, if one of my core values is unity with nature, which is mm. directly connected to horseback riding, he's helped me to weave in this aspirational value of health into that so that it does become an intrinsic motivator because ultimately when I do those exercises, when I eat those foods, when I take those supplements that he gives me, I feel better and I get to have a higher quality of unity with nature. Yeah, that's right. And it wouldn't be the same in the gym. So I think that's great when you can combine those two, your aspirations with your intrinsic values and find ways to do that in different parts of your life. So, so that's wonderful. I'd like to switch sort of topic a little bit now to talk about values and business and in particular values and leadership, um, which is what we're talking about today, really about the joy, superpowers of leadership and leading with values. And if we look at that from a 
management and leadership concept. I'd like to quote to you a quote by somebody called Frederick Labathes. I'm terrible at names, but I presume that's how his name is spelled. But anyway, he says, the essential characteristics of values-based leadership is the belief that the welfare of people is the end of leadership and not that people are the means to a leader's goal. So I think that's, you know, one of my favorite takes on, on values-based leadership. So how, what does that say to you? It's this idea that people are every, is everything, right? It's right. not a means to an end. It's the whole thing. Yeah. And so when you take out that piece, like you're not going to get where you want to go. And also you're, you're not going to do it in a way that creates sustainability and longevity and connection and these bigger ripple waves that happen mm. when people feel those things inside of themselves. What are, what's the bigger return on all of that? But in a more human way, right? Like it just gets down to the raw fact that we really are here to support one another. Mm. You know, we're really here to create a better world together. We're really here to listen and to be a part of community and to make everything just a little bit better than when we experienced it ourselves. And so we can't do that if we think people are just one of the factors in getting to the solution. It's, it's the whole process of getting there. Yeah, so it's not seeing them as cogs in the machine, so to speak, um, as a... FTEs or other terms that we can use to dehumanize. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes. And lately, because there's so much conversation happening about retention and, you know, there's this great resignation going mm. on. I prefer to call it the great awakening. People are kind of, you know, jumping between the two. You know, one's the employer side, one's the employee side of that right. perspective. But it's been, I've been in conversations. I was in a meeting recently. It was, I was facilitating it for a client. So it wasn't, they weren't my clients. I was mm. doing it on behalf of a client. But the way that people in this listening session were talking about retention was just like plugging numbers in and churning numbers out. And it just sickened me. You know, yeah. it sickened me the way that it was being spoken about, um, you know, well, we found that when we give a 10% raise, this is the return that we've gotten on those kinds of things. And we found mm -hmm. that when we add these kinds of words into our job descriptions, and it's like, okay, those things are great to know. But also, what is going on inside of your culture that you're that you're having this issue, right? Versus what's the plug and play to try to get more people there or to keep them longer? It's like, no, no, this is about humans and humanity. It is not quick. And sure, there are proven methods and techniques and technology that you can use to get there. But it starts with listening to your people, yeah. actually hearing what they have to say, and then doing something about it. Yeah, I mean, I see two issues here. I, I, I mean, I see one, obviously, with there's, there's the leaders, and then there's the organization. And I don't know, I think in the US, the average CEO's tenure is probably around four years or probably less than four years. So, you know, even if the CEO comes into a, a company and, and believes that they, they want to change, that they want to, to lead with values, um, 
within that time frame to change an organization that might have been, you know, living this sort of management by Excel culture for 20, 30 years. Um, it's a hard ask, right, for that guy to come in and get on stage and say, hey, we're going to do things differently now, knowing that he's going to be out of the door in four years, if he's lucky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, there's, there's, in a way, organizations um, are hard to change, I suppose, is, is what I'm trying to say through that. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try as leaders, right? I'm right. Saying, well, yeah. it depends, I would say. It, I think it depends on how old the organization is, mm. how many people are there, yeah. and how ingrained they are in the way it's always been. Right. Some CEOs will come in and just clear house of all the culture killers. Mm. And then they'll say, okay, we're resetting now. Let's come together and do this work. And then for the people who are remaining, it's this, oh my gosh, it's like a rebirth. It's such a gift. And it feels like, wow, we could really do this. And I, and I had the privilege of working with a team like that um, in the last couple of years where they a new CEO came in. They've been around for hundreds of years. This mm. is a long, 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 long foundation that's been around. And it was amazing to see yeah. people really saying, this is the first time ever that I've seen a CEO actually care about us right. as a group of people. So I, I share that to simply say, like, it is possible, but yeah. it is certainly the minority. And it takes a very intentional leader who is going to stick with it when it gets hard mm. for it to really be something that can, can change. And, and to be totally honest, this is why I love working with solopreneurs and entrepreneurs <laughs> in this work, because it's a very different process when you're starting oh, yes. from day one or from the beginning, or you're a staff of one or two, whatever it may be, then starting, you know, 50 years after you've been in business with a big team of people who have never even thought about values before that moment. Right. And somebody wise said to me, you know, hire for values, you can teach skills. Yeah. You know, but if the, if the value, if the culture match isn't right, no matter how skillful they are, you shouldn't hire them. Uh, it, it's, it's true. And honestly, it's not fair to that individual. And it's not fair to that organization. So it's both sides. Mm. If you have a, I actually give an example in, in my book, I was talking to a friend. Um, actually, he'd be great to have on your podcast, James Hadlock. He's, he's awesome. And Wonderful. he was talking about his company's culture and how I think it's, I don't know if it's once a week or once a month, but anyway, they have this regular ongoing meeting that's called a soul check-in or something like that, where, you know, everybody goes around and checks in on how's their soul doing. Mm, and nice. for someone like me hearing that, that would be like, yes, that's amazing. Right. But for somebody else, that mm. would be like, whoa, <laughs> no, thank you. That's not what work is. Right. You're not touching my soul. Right. <laughs> and so what a disservice mm. to, not make a new employee aware of something that's so deeply associated to their values. That's an expression of those values. That's either going to turn that person on or off, tell them before they even consider the position right. and be transparent that like, this isn't something that's changing here. You know, mm. this, is, this is a big part of our cultural norms. 
Um, and so it was really cool to to be able to to recognize like that. Yeah, it's both sides. It's both sides. And oftentimes in interview processes, the the candidate is really like trying to morph themselves into mm. the best applicant versus I'm actually going to vet them for my values as well. Yeah. And so they lose their power in that process versus saying. You know, reflection is a huge value of mine. So what are the opportunities that we have as a team to reflect together? What are the mm -hmm. opportunities that I'll have to reflect in our work and my progress? You know, whatever that may be. And so somebody like James would be able to say, oh, my gosh, you know, we have this ongoing experience where we reflect on how our soul is doing. Um, and so anyway, th those are the kinds of things that I just it's a missed opportunity on both sides when we're not talking about our individual and our shared values as mm. an organization. Yeah, I mean, I think this great awakening, is, as you call it, um, is an opportunity for people to do that, right? To reflect now they have a power, in a way, many people going into the job interview. Um, so to, to think how to use that power, not only to say what you want in terms of concrete things, but to talk about your values and really what you want from a workplace and a community, which it really is um, a community experience, and to seek that alignment and to seek the employer who is going to match you on those values. Yeah, and to ask the questions, right, the questions of yourself first. So you could ask yourself if you're changing jobs and going somewhere else, you know, what was it about this job that drained me? Mm -hmm. so it wasn't a reflection of my values, right? And what were the pieces of this job that filled me up that I want to be sure I have again from them being something that activated my values? And then how can you use that as a tool to be thoughtful about the questions you ask? Mm. Yeah, so that's good. So do you see a change happening? Do you see that there is more of a, an awareness and discussion happening around this topic? Yeah, it's really exciting to wow. be in my position right now. I will say, obviously, none of us are feeling great about this pandemic happening. Mm. But in my line of work, it has been the most exponential growth for my business and this message of permission to be human, because the majority of us are going through an experience where it's like, whoa, I don't know what this is. I can't just keep going through the motions like I have been like, this is really painful. I'm suffering. I don't know how to deal with the stress. I don't know how to deal with this anxiety. I don't know how to step forward into what alignment even is. What it what does it mean for me to be authentic, right? And all yeah. these kinds of things. And so um, it takes a lot of pain oftentimes for us to recognize we don't have to keep suffering mm. and to recognize there's another choice that can be made. And so there's a huge awakening happening of people realizing that, well, maybe if I understood my values, I could be more intentional with the choices I'm making, with where I'm investing my energy, my time, you know, who I'm in relationships with and who I'm not, and what I'm saying yes to and what I'm saying no to so that I actually am honoring my values and not just what other people want from me or expect of me. Yeah, I suppose the same applies, you know, I don't know how much this is talked about, but I suppose those the same applies to the CEO, you know, and his relationship with the board and shareholders, for example, and pension funds and all these other people, Wall Street, all these other people who might be influencing him and or, or her. her or her. 
and <laughs> and their ability to to stand up to their values and be authentic in that situation as well and walk away um, even if the money's good to walk away to say no this doesn't align with what I believe in this doesn't align with who I am and that's why having those values clear on the front end are so 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 important to harness as a tool in these kind of milestone moments of like do I move forward or do I leave this you know and walk yeah. away because they give you so much more clarity. They give you so much more personal power in being able to say like, that's great. I appreciate the direction you're going, but it's not in line with my values. So you're going to go in that direction without me. All right. All right. And, and values, I suppose in, in some way, the measurement, you know, now the research geek in me comes out a little bit when we talk about um, values and measurement. And I know there's, there's a lot of ways people measure employees and culture and things, but have you only seen any good tools to help measure values in this work environment? Well, I just so happen to have one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And actually all of these tools, including every single one of the questions and how to set it up as a survey is all listed in the book. So literally I, I wrote the book in such a way that it's a step-by-step -step guide that anybody could literally lift what's in there and make their own assessment using those tools and those questions. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Please. Um, one of the ways that I do this is by let's say a company already has their values. Mm -hmm. And so let's just say one of their values is innovation. And so when I would, when I'd start working with a company, the first thing we do is what I call a values alignment assessment. So we'd understand where is the company in or out of alignment and at what volume. And so we start with something as simple as, you know, spark vision defines innovation as X, Y, Z. How often does the company live this value? And so it would be a scale of one to 10, one being always, I mean, sorry, 10 being always, one being never, right? And then, and then the same, same section, how often does your team live this value? Mm -hmm. And then finally, how often do you live this value? And so there you can also choose whether or not you have an open text box so that people could say, explain your selections above. I, mm. I love doing that. I also sometimes, depending only if you're going to do something with it, I'll add a text box that says, please list the, the full names of people who embody this value. So you can start to see who are the culture keepers when it comes to innovation. How can I be more intentional about tapping into, you know, Andrew and James and Julie and um, Ganesha and, and yeah. all, whoever else mm -hmm. who has been listed because culture is happening all the time. It doesn't need to be an external person that's going to help you. You can say, oh, wow, these four people are excellent at this. Let's pull them together and see how we can lift this up higher. Yeah. And what are their proven practices that we can spread? Because obviously everybody here is saying they're already doing great work. And when you do that, when you can, when you can see both from the numerical, you know, the quality quantitative, but also the qualitative from some of the storytelling you may yeah. ask in open text box or perhaps some listening sessions you do after you get the data. It gives you a benchmark for saying, okay, we are really crushing it when it comes to innovation, 
But when it comes to empathy, we have a lot of opportunity. Mm. Empathy is another one of their values, right? And so that's where you can start to not only put intention towards, okay, what conversations do we need to be having? What trainings do we need to be having? What changes do we need to be making in our policies, our procedures, our hiring practices, our onboarding practices, whatever it may be related to those low lower values, right? That you're not, you're not seeing being activated regularly. But then on the flip side, how can we really celebrate what we're doing well? It's not always about improving, right? How do we really celebrate and own what we're doing well and encourage more people to do those things? So you need both. You need both. You know, it's not always about fixing and changing and evolving. It's also about lifting up what's going really well and honoring the individuals who have created those proven practices. And it's something that I encourage teams to do at least once a year when Mm -hmm. you're beginning and maybe doing some intentional efforts around your values. Maybe it's something you want to do twice a year or something you want to do once a quarter. The the key thing, though, is that you must be transparent about this. You know, you must share the results. You must be willing to eat some humble pie, Mm -hmm. right? and I highly recommend you you invite somebody that's not a part of your company to do it so that there's even more psychological safety for the participants in yeah. going through a, a process like that. Yeah, I mean, humility is definitely a huge part of this value-driven leadership. I think that the leader needs to, as you say, eat that humble pie. Um, but at the same time, to celebrate. Um, I think that's often forgotten in some of these programs where there's this drive to change. There's this drive to improve. Yeah, and sometimes and people exhausting. get a bit tired with it. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Right? It's like, oh, like, no, not oh, another leader with another program, right? What's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another change program coming your way. Right, exactly. Say, well, no, we're doing good stuff. Why don't we celebrate that for a while? Um, build on that rather than have to always new, new, new. Um, so I think that's, that's a wonderful thing you're doing to help not only measure it, but help then that change happen um, and that celebration happen. So what inspired you to write this book? It had been living inside of me for many, many years. I'm sure you've heard this, Andrew. You know, people have been say all the time, a book is the new business card. You know, if you really want to be a thought leader in your space, you need to write a book. And and I love writing. It's a very cathartic mm-hmm. process for me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. It feels like every day I get to have this wonderful personal experience that then gets to impact people all over the right. world by sharing through it. Um, and there's my value of authenticity, you know, mm. right on the head. That's a, that's a great example of, of of being able to connect with so many people all over the world, like yourself. Um, And so it's, it's been a very um, powerful, powerful experience to recognize that what you have to say does make a difference. And when I say you, I mean, every single one of us, right? Every single one of Mm. us is inside of us, right? We may not all be writers. We may not all have that as a goal or a vision for ourselves, but every single one of us has something in us that is like, I've heard this expression, make your mess, your message. (laughs) And so my, my biggest pain um, in many ways was going to workplace after workplace after workplace and feeling just like I was as a little kid, like something was wrong with me because 
I cared about everybody there. Mm. And it seemed like other people like really didn't, especially not supervisors, you know, that I was so deeply invested in the outcomes that were going to impact other people. Mm. And it was like, why do you care about that so much? You know, just get with the program. Like, why do you have to be so sensitive about these things? Right. (sighs) So this was, this was the same story repeating itself in my adulthood, in career. And then when I left to start my own business, when I started Spark Vision almost seven years ago now, mm. it was an experience of like, I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one who feels like the underdog for caring about people at work. Mm. I know I'm not the only one who wants to create environments where people can thrive. I know I'm not the only one who is aware that if we know our values, we can attract other people with the same shared values and we can create just incredible experiences that are Mm. exponential as a result of that authentic connection. And so thankfully, uh, you know, this was the kind of thing that had been brewing and brewing and brewing. I never had enough time, never had enough time, never had enough time. Pandemic hits. And it was like, all right, Mary Beth, if there was ever a sign, this is it. Take it, own it, make it happen. Um, And to be totally honest with you, now that it's been six months since the book has been out, Mm. I I really just want to, I want to be a writer. That's, that's, I'm I'm really looking forward to the. To, you know, the next, and the next book and the next book, um, because it's brought me so much joy. And it's been such a gift to hear from people all over the world, literally every day, yeah. saying that something they read made a difference for them. And I don't know how much better it gets than that. That is amazing, isn't it? To, to get that feedback, knowing that it was a lot of effort, obviously, for you to write the book, um, and you put your passion into it. And then to get that feedback that it was worthwhile, that the people have actually seen a light either as leaders or as in terms of organization, just workers and say, well, I need to leave this, leave this organization now. It's misaligned with my values or I need to help change this organization, yeah. right? And to share the book with the boss and say, look, we need to be more human here. Mary Beth says so. Um <laughs> And I love the way, you know, the key message around empathizing and relating to this human experience at work. I think that's what makes the book so valuable because, you know, people get it, I think, conceptually, a lot of people. But to really take it down to that core human level, um, I think, is where you're successful in what you're doing. And I love the permission to be human. As we somehow feel in society we've been stripped of that um, in, whether that's at school or, or work or in many parts of our life, um, we feel that we're, we're not allowed to be human. And that's, again, going against our values. So I think that's wonderful how you combine those Thank two you. things in your book. And I presume, you know, obviously with the pandemic, it's, it was a good message for you. And I'm glad you got that message that you didn't have to have a harder lesson to learn to, to get you to write the book because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure that you would have had one if you hadn't done. So, you know, when did you think about it in terms of a manual for leaders or a manual f- or book for employees when you, or both when you wrote it or 
I literally wrote it. If if you'll allow me, I'll read the first line of the book because Please. I'm like, this is what's written to, and I can be a very succinct because I spent a lot of time figuring out what was the opening sentence going to be. Mm. <laughs> so this is this is the first sentence. This book is a love letter to any fellow humans who have felt like they were the underdogs for deeply caring about people and their well-being at work. There you go. That's who it's to, you know? Mm. And so whether that's the CEO or someone who's leading a team or just an individual who is looking to create that experience in their own lives, um, it's really these people who can relate to that feeling of, is it just me? You know, mm. or um, so what can I do? Or maybe somebody who says, um, I want to understand that. Right. And I don't know how to get there. Right. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just been so fascinating. You know, I thought it was going to be a book for CEOs and for yeah. HR executives, but you know, now six months later, I'm learning a lot of people who are retired are reading it. Right. <laughs> Because I think it's got such value for our personal it, you know? lives. Yeah, they're like, I can apply this to these groups that I'm a part of in the community. I can apply this to my family. I can apply this to my church. I can apply this, you know. Mm. So it's just, it's fascinating that you you may think it's, as the author, you're like, this is who it's for. And um, <laughs> who has been attracted to it has been quite a quite a variety of individuals, which has been such a gift. Yeah, it is. And obviously the book covers a myriad of subtopics within it. Um, if you had to name three things that you would want to highlight that people should take away from when thinking about leading with values, what would you say those three things were or would are? That's a great question. So I would say the first is you have to start with yourself. So you have to understand your own values, how they show up, where they're in alignment, where they're out of alignment before you can start asking everybody else to do it. So you have mm. to really go within first. Right? Okay. Yep. The second would be that you need to give yourself permission to be human in the process mm. because it's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. It might be simple. The process is simple, but it's not easy, right? It's just like therapy. It doesn't happen quickly. It's something that takes a dedication and an intention to evolve, right? And the Mm. choice saying, like, I want to do this. But the permission to be human piece of it is being kind and gentle to yourself in the process, knowing... You are not going to do it perfectly because there is no such thing as that. And it comes to this work. It's all about being perfectly imperfect in the process. Perfectly messy. Yes, exactly. And, and, and owning that as a part of what it is versus, oh, I just failed. You know, I'm a failure. I give up. Mm. Right? So giving yourself permission to be human along the way. Nice. And, then, and then finally, just really being able to honor the process of meeting yourself where you are, not where you want to be. It goes sort of hand in hand with the permission to be human, but it's separate in the sense of, you know, this book outlines a lot, a lot. I mean, we get into the nooks and crannies of things like how you figure out your raises and and your board meetings and your strategic plans and all these kinds of things that are more technical versus the inner journey. Um, And so it's, it's not everything is going to be for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is 
take the pieces that are meeting you where you are. And then once you have really embraced those, come back and then see what's there for you next. Because you, there's no way that, that you can take on every single thing um, with ease and grace. Like, it's just not, not going to be possible. It would be a forced thing. It would be something that, you know, you'd be spinning your wheels quite a bit. Mm. And so take the things that serve you and start there. Come back once you've mastered those and figure out what's the next thing. I love that. I love that. Because then you're going to see change and have those celebrations happening quickly, right? It doesn't become a three, five year process, which, you know, doesn't go anywhere. And then the CEO is gone by the time it's almost going to be launched as the program. And this way you can do it, you can get it moving, you can get traction. I think movement is super important as humans, you know, we should be moving a lot more than we do back to your yep. horse riding. Um, but, you know, um, also in business and in work, we should be looking at movement at fluid fluidity in what we're doing. And totally not just, agree. Not just planning to have the perfect process and the perfect culture and, and not actually doing anything with it. Yeah. So thank you for that. What I would like to ask is, again, you know, obviously, you know, we're going to highly recommend people to read your book, but what else should they read? Who else should they follow in this space, in your opinion, if they want to learn more about this? Well, if you're interested in going on a conscious leadership journey, which, you know, this book is a guide for people who are interested in conscious leadership, when you're living in your values, you're living consciously and mindfully. Yeah. So anybody who's interested in that inner work, oh my goodness, go read A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Please mm. do it now. <laughs> that has been the most transformative book I've ever read. And it's wonderful to couple it with the Oprah does a podcast series with Eckhart Tolle for each chapter. Yeah. So it's almost nice. like you can be in a book club with them chapter by chapter. And really that work is around understanding your ego and how it takes over. Mm. And in such a way that you're like, wait, does he know what's happening inside of my head? Because <laughs> we don't talk about these things most of the time with others. And so you, for a long time in your life, you can think I'm the only one who goes through this. And what's so powerful about that book is recognizing like, nope, we all have this. This is, this is how we can identify when it's happening. This is how we can label things when they're coming up. So we don't have to take them personally. And here's mm. how we can release them and move forward. So they don't become a part of our suffering, but rather a part of our like curiosity and mindful experience of really moving into personal sense of alignment in mm. having uh, consciousness in our own daily experience. Yeah, that's a, that is a wonderful recommendation, I think, combined with opera there. Um, that's really something worth following. Somebody wise once said to me about the ego that it's always good to have in the car, but never let them touch the steering wheel. <laughs> I don't even know if I want them in my car. Maybe if they're in the trunk. <laughs> Sometimes they've got some good advice um, on the past, a little bit, a little bit to listen to them now and again, but don't let them drive. But yeah, definitely not. Anyway, Mary Beth, that's all we got time for. I know we could have talked forever on this, but I do have one more question for you. I Please. promise it's my last one, which is what brings you joy? Hmm. Well, you know, I feel like it's a bit of a cop out here, but I would say living in my values. I mean, ah. it really is. It's really the most authentic joy. It's, it's 
the most pure joy. And, and I will say in this season of life right now, mm-hmm. um, where I'm activating that most is, is when I get to be with horses and, um, I'm doing some, I wasn't kidding when I said I'm on a quest to become a cowgirl. My, my husband and I actually just bought our tiny home. We're going to start our migration out West, um, to the mountains of Idaho and we're building a no retreat out there. Wow. And, um, my best friend out there, she's a cowgirl by profession. Her cattle actually roam our property as a part of a partnership that we have with her oh, and her husband oh, and their nice. ranch and their farm. Um, and she's teaching me the ways of the cowgirl and she's teaching me how to respect the land and how to, um, respect the animals and how to create a beautiful, I mean, if you're a meat eater, this is what you want to see a cow's life being, you know, mm-hmm. like this is what you hope for their existence to be it's just yeah. so such a beautiful thing. And being on horseback is, is an amazing mindfulness um, experience as well, because they feed off of your energy. They're a mirror to what's going on with yourself. So <sighs> Much like um, therapy is a wonderful mirror, equine therapy is equally, um, if not more profound at times, Mm. because a horse isn't going to lie to you about your own energy. They're going to make it very well known in a beast that big. uh, (laughs) You're going to feel it. Very clear when you have an opportunity to get back in alignment. (laughs) Right, right. Yes, I remember being thrown off by a big horse when I was misaligned in my youth. Oh, so, mm, that's tough that's a hard one yeah well they gave me the horse called kangaroo so i should have known <laughs> at that point that <laughs> a I was jumper? In... did you have a jumper uh, yeah he liked jumping he liked rolling in water as well oh my goodness yeah um so he was teaching me a lesson or two that's wow sure. that's a big le- yeah, yeah that's big but it was good it was good and no that is wonderful I, 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 really i'm gonna come knocking on your door when you get your retreat up and please yeah come, yeah. come back to me in uh 2022 2023 you know soon be with us it will soon be with us yes uh, it will it will so i'm gonna thank you mary beth so so much for taking the time today to talk to me it's been inspirational for me personally but also for our listeners i hope to hear um your words of wisdom on leading with values and your stories around that your own personal stories thank you for sharing that and giving people inspiration to to turn their negative things in their life into positives um i think that's a, that's a huge inspiration above a bonus inspiration above all the stuff you talk to us about leading with values so thank you for my that. pleasure my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to share the stories and to create a safe space here and with you and with your community at large. I, I appreciate it. And I, I look forward to staying connected. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I hope your listeners feel inspired and empowered by my chat with Mary Beth today about the joy superpower of leading with values, not only to bring more joy to your own life, but to also bring more joy to the lives of others. And if you want to find out more about Mary Beth, and what she's up to. Um, I don't know about the retreat yet, but the you can visit her website, which is sparkvisionnow.com and find out more about the book. There's the book website, which is permissiontobehuman.co and you connect with Mary Beth on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, and probably elsewhere as well. But those are the two main channels and we'll put the, the links into the podcast description for everybody. 
And while you're on social media, why not hop on and share your own stories with Leading with Values? I'm using the hashtag Joy Superpowers. We'd love to hear your stories. And if you don't already do so, please follow the Art and Science of Joy on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Come join the conversation and help us spread the joy. Thanks once again for listening. And I hope you tune in for the next episode of the Art and Science of Joy podcast. Until then, be safe and stay joyful.